Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined by Jamil Damji today. Mm, mm, mm. I was going to ask how you're doing, but now I know. You're, you're dancing, you're singing already? I'm super good. Yeah, this is fun. How, last time I saw you, we had a, like a team call on Monday. You were going to Disney World. How was it? It was incredible. I, I went to Disneyland with uh, six 16-year-olds, and I survived. Actually, it's, it's a... I have a beautiful family and I got a great kid and um, we, we had a lot of fun. I, I got to ride some rides, a turkey leg, had some Dole Whip. What, you know, what could be better in life? Yeah, that sounds lovely. I'm glad you had a good time. Well, today we have an episode that we've been talking about and wanting to do for a long time, and that's talking about iBuyers. And we have one of the foremost experts, I think, in the world talking about real estate technology in general uh, Mike Del Preeti. Uh, he is sort of, he's not an investor, but he's a professor of real estate technology. He knows everything about this. And we had a great conversation, but the conversation, we obviously already filmed it. Um, he, we sort of go right into it. Um, so before we go into the interview, I'd love to just quickly explain what iBuying is. You're pretty familiar with the topic, right? Sure. So, you know, what I have seen iBuying uh, as, you know, how it works is this essentially a convenience purchase, right? So a company will come in and give a homeowner a convenience offer, typically a cash offer, and they'll provide all of the, uh, the ease and flexibility of that, that, that offer should provide, right? So cash, quick closing or flexible closing, uh, flexible terms, 
lease backs, post possessions, all of the all of the ways that a homeowner can get maximum flexibility and in return for that convenience, they trade value. They trade some equity. Yeah. And so basically like as a seller, you could go on, you know, Zillow is sort of the famous one, but there are a lot, several offer pad and open door publicly traded companies. Redfin was doing this for a while. Um, you can go on these websites and it's like, if you've ever seen that, like instant offer kind of thing, like Jamil was saying, they're just making this convenient for you. Um, and it's been this sort of hot topic, especially I think in the real estate investing community over the last couple of years, because in some ways, and I think people can argue this and we'll talk about this, it does threaten or could th you could make an argument that it threatens real estate investors because they're going after um, some of the, let's call them motivated sellers that real estate investors typically target. Right. And I'm not going to spoil it, but that's sort of the, the, the framework of why we wanted to have the conversation here with Mike and talk about iBuyers because it is a really important trend impacting the world of real estate investing. Um, and uh, I think he sheds a lot of light on how, as an investor, you should be thinking about this industry. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know before we jump into the interview? I think just take notes because this is an incredibly intelligent conversation about, you know, where real estate has been, where it's currently at and where it could possibly be going. If you're the kind of person right now that's trying to determine, you know, where, where should I be? Where should I, what's, how can I be more forward thinking? How can I be the next innovator? You might find the idea on this episode. Awesome. Well, that's a great setup. We're going to get into our interview with Mike Del Pretty, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Mike Del Predi, welcome to On the Market. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So can you tell our audience just a little bit about the work you do related to the real estate industry? Yeah, sure. So if we if we go back in time a little bit, I worked at a um, an internet business that owned a real estate portal. You know, kind of like the Zillow, but it was in New Zealand, so it was the Zillow of New Zealand. And um, since I left there and, and returned back to the states, I've been studying. Well, there's this question in my mind, which is, what are some new ways, new business models that might change how people buy and sell homes? Right. You know, like I assume like you and a lot of uh, your listeners, people buy and sell homes. It feels antiquated. You're like, why does it work like this? How come it doesn't do that? Uh, You know, concurrently, billions of dollars have poured into the space over the past couple of years. And there's a lot of investors and companies and entrepreneurs trying to change that. So that's that's what I've been interested in. And and all of my work stems from that. So I'm, I'm looking for businesses, business models, companies, entrepreneurs that are trying to change how people buy and sell homes. And and a lot of that work just comes out as research, reports. I'm a data guy, so I, I try to find evidence, right? It's not who's raised money or issued a press release, but what's actually working, and then trying to connect the dots between those different data points to enlighten you know, what the trends are, what the insights are, what's what's working, what's not working, and why. Awesome. You're, you're our kind of guy that's going to be a great interview. I'm looking forward to this. But before we jump into some of the recent stuff, I'm just curious, were you in real estate before working in that portal? Were you a tech person or how did you get started in, how did this interest uh, peak in you? You know, it's a good question. And my family asks me that all the time. What, <laughs> what, what are you doing and why? Um, I mean, yeah, after, after I went to college, I started a tech business. So I was a tech entrepreneur. You know, I didn't raise any money, but I, I built up a company, 40, 50 people and sold it. And, and that was a good exit. And that kind of gave me the freedom to explore my passions a little bit more. Um, you know, and some of that was moving to New Zealand and experiencing a different culture and, and a work environment. And, and that's where I first got interested in in, in real estate or, or technology in real estate, right? I've always been a tech guy. I, I haven't really been into real estate. I'm not that into real estate. You know, I don't I don't own any rentals. I don't have a property portfolio. I'm not invested in any real estate stocks. Um, but I, I think it's a it's a fantastic area that kind of um, suits me because it's it's huge, right? There's a huge opportunity. There's a lot of data. Just a lot of data all over the place, um, and it's it's hard, right? The the path forward is not clear, you know. And it wasn't clear to me five years ago. I, I could look at other industries, and you can kind of chart out how you think it'll go, like video on demand or cable television, right? It's it's kind of clear where this is going, but real estate, no idea, right? All all bets are off. Um, and I'm you know I, I have a busy brain that doesn't like to sit around idle, and I wanted something a hard problem to think about, and nothing to me seemed harder at the time than figuring out okay what's what's going to happen in this space what's what are we going to see going forward? 
All right, great. Well, you seem like just the person for for the questions that we have. Um, I actually first stumbled upon your your research last year when I'm sure it was a very busy time for you with Zillow's iBuyer program, uh, famously, infamously, whatever, shut down. Um, so we're we're curious just to learn a little bit more about the state of iBuyers right now, because as real estate investors, there's been I don't know, Jamil, what do we call it? Paranoia? Fear? Something? I, I call it paranoia. I would call it fear. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, misunderstanding about the space. And, you know, I've, I've looked in and uh, uh, dove into a little bit of Michael's research. And, you know, again, um, just understanding j how little of the market right now it's actually affecting. It It's such a overestimated fear, right? Like the real estate professionals in general don't understand um, how to utilize this resource that's available there. And so I, I think it's it's all of it. I think it's misunderstanding. I think it's fear. Um, and I also believe that if we had a better understanding of what their model was and what they were actually trying to accomplish, then we could have a better narrative about it, right? Because real estate agents think that they're there to take away their jobs. It's not the case. Yes. Yes and no. Okay. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think... So when, you know, if we go back to my question, right, what are some new models that may change how people buy and sell homes? iBuying is one of many. So I'm, we can talk all about iBuyers. We can talk about other stuff. But iBuyers are, are a clear answer to that question. They're probably the, the largest, the most well-funded. And fundamentally, they represent this really radical change to the status quo, right? At the time when Opendoor, the biggest iBuyer, kind of first came to the scene and raised some money, um, there were other companies, but they were all trying to, they were taking the existing real estate process and just digitizing parts of it. Like if we can bring this online or automate that, that's disruption, right? That's, that's real estate tech. Opendoor came to the party and they just, they kind of cleared the table and said, nope, there's a totally different way from A to B. Instead of listing your home the traditional way, we'll go in, we'll buy it from you, kind of almost sight unseen. You could get a check in the mail by the end of the week, and then we're going to fix it up and, and sell it off when we're, when we're done. That, that was a radical proposition at the time. So iBuyers are, you know, they're, um, you, you know, iBuyers are part of real estate, real estate tech disruption, but real estate tech disruption is not just iBuyers. There's plenty of other companies out there. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much to unpack there, but just to pick one, one topic of what you asked, you know, and happy to talk about the business model. But I, I think if we talk about agents, you know, Open Door is the largest iBuyer, and, and they, they came out of the gate with a bit of an anti-agent message. Um, you know, I mean, the marketing is really clear. It's like the traditional process is broken. We're going to fix it. You know, if you're an agent, you are the traditional process. Um, Open Door spends, I mean, even, even up till earlier this year, they spend tens of millions of dollars on TV advertising campaigns, and the messaging there is, sell your home the new fashioned way, right? So the, if you follow that train of thought, the old fashioned way is the traditional way and that's agent. So every real estate agent is old fashioned. So, so there, there is a bit, you know, to be fair, like there, there has been a bit of antagonism between iBuyers and real estate agents from the get go and kind of continuing to today. So how does that work with a company like Zillow or Redfin that, you know, those are two, I guess, previous iBuyers now that both of them have thrown in the towel. Um, but 
how was that working? And is that part of the problem is that they sort of had this iBuyer business that is potentially antagonistic or um, adversarial towards agents at the same time? I know Zillow is the vast majority of the revenue comes from uh, agents. Agents. I don't know exactly how Redfin's revenue comes in, but well, they're a brokerage as well, right? And so Redfin's Redfin is representing buyers hand over fist. Well, let's let's get the easy one out of the way first. Redfin. Um, Redfin was was technically an iBuyer, but just exponentially smaller than anyone else. Um, they're also their own brokerage, right? Redfin employs their own real estate agents, so. Redfin can go out there, do whatever they want and say, this is what we're doing, like it or leave it. You know, they, they can just kind of force their organization to accept this. So it wasn't a big deal for them. So we'll, we'll put that to the side. But Zillow, yeah, I mean, I, I think Zillow's entry into iVine and their messaging and how they pitched that to agents uh, was probably, you know, it's a master stroke in good communication. There was such little backlash from that. That, that often gets forgotten, you know, because so much has happened since then, right? Um, but it was, it was really well done. And the way that Zillow got around it was they said, yeah, there's another iBuyer out there, Open Door, and they're, they don't want to use agents, but we do. Mm. So we're, we're Zillow. We want to come in. We want to offer iBuying because we think that's a pretty valuable solution for, for today's homeowners. Um, but we also, we want to work with the industry. We want to work with you, our valued partners, our valued agents. And the way we're going to do that is we're actually, we're going to continue to use an agent on every single one of our transactions, and we're going to pay you a commission on it, right? Whereas with Open Door, consumers would go to Open Door directly. They wouldn't use an agent. It was a, you know, um, zero sum game, right? The agents lose because Open Door wins. Zillow is saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to still use agents. We'll still pay a commission. Uh, and, and the way that kind of financially transpired was almost this tax that Zillow had to pay agents for every transaction. Kind of, I forget it, you know, it was like one and a half percent just to pay those agent commissions. So if you look at the unit economics, Zillow's were always worse than Open Door because Zillow continued to pay that agent tax to use agents in order to not, you know, not... Um, uh, upset their existing client base. Zillow generates a billion dollars a year in revenue from agents. They can't afford to go out there and upset them. I think in addition to that, though, there's, there's an important piece to the equation that having a homeowner have an advocate in the conversation. You know, when you look at the way that, I mean, I've, I've transacted with Open Door before and, and, it's, and it's interesting, though, just the way the contracts read, you know, you've got your you know, your first line item, which is your purchase price or their purchase price. And then all of their credits come out on, you know, the, the last page of the, the, of the document where you've got their, their, uh, technology fee, you've got their market risk fee, you've got, you know, all the different ways that they're going to, uh, change the settlement statement when the deal actually closes, the property then records at a much higher price than what they actually pay for. Um, the property. And it's confusing. It's confusing to people when they're looking at the settlement statement. They say, wait, hold on. You said you're going to pay me $225,000. i am looking at my settlement statement now. It says one sixty-five. So inserting an advocate into that conversation so that the technology can be explained, so that the, the contracts can be explained, so that how everybody's being monetized is explained and, and people can make an informed decision. I don't think that's a, a, a terrible thing to have. No, and I, I think that's symptomatic of the psychology of this whole space, right? We're talking about real estate, somebody's single largest transaction they will likely undertake in their lifetime. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, I, I've talked about this, right? This idea of loss aversion and whatnot, but 
fundamentally, the larger a transaction, um, the more conservative human beings are, right? The less we want to make a mistake. If I want to, you know, if I want to try a new coffee shop that opened up down the street, I'll try it out one day. You know, I spend $5 and if I don't like it, I, what did I lose? I lost five bucks. I'll just go to my normal place tomorrow. Um, you know, I want to try a video streaming service. I sign up for Disney plus the first month is either free or, you know, 10 bucks. What do I get? If I don't like it, I just lost 10 bucks. Not a big deal. Right. But what with real estate, like what's the potential downside if you make a mistake? It's, it's huge. Like your, your example, you could, it could be tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. Um, we're, we're talking about, you know, video streaming services and coffee are not on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Shelter is. <laughs> so, I mean, coffee is on my hierarchy of needs. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, real estate shelter is right. We're talking about being in the right school district at the right time. We're talking about safety. We're talking about being near my, you know, parents or something. It's all wrapped up into that. And that's why on these high value transactions, people are much more conservative and, and they have a specialist to help them. That's why we have um, financial advisors to help with, you know, financial planning and wealth management. That's why there's divorce lawyers. That's why there's M&A attorneys and, and investment bankers to help out with these high transaction, low frequency um, uh, transactions where, where they can be the specialist and, and provide that expertise. And in real estate, that's the real estate agent. So, you know, bring it all back, right? That's why we still have agents. That's why agents are not going away anytime soon. And that's why it feels kind of funny to outsource that advocacy to the for-profit company you're working with. Yeah, it seems a little bit like a, you know, a conflict of interest, I guess, when you're when it's all sort of vertically integrated and they don't have that much objectivity. I would like to jump back sort of, I guess, sort of, sort of like a foundational question here, particularly for real estate investors, because they, we as a group, I'm not, I guess I'll speak for everyone and say, um, felt like iBuyers are competition too, right? They were coming in, um, making offers on a lot of the types of distressed properties or value add opportunities that traditionally, you know, smaller investors really liked. Um, and that sort of has been a threat, but one thing I've always just been curious about and Jamil hinted at this is like, what is the volume even like, are they even making a dent in the national scheme of housing, uh, transactions or is this sort of overblown and they're really just sort of this niche thing? It, it all comes down to perspective and, you know, the, the tyranny of percentages, right? So <laughs> if we, if we start way at the top. I think Open Door, it's either Open Door or all iBuyers, but Open Door's market share last year was something like 1.3%. You know, so out of all the homes that were that were purchased, Open Door purchased maybe 1.3. It actually sounds too high. I think it I think that was all iBuyers. So anyway, you're talking like a percent, right? Mm -hmm. Um so you can look at that and you can say, oh, a percent. That's that's a rounding error. It's totally niche, not a big deal, right? But then, you know, if you translate that percent into an actual number of transactions, you're talking about 40, 50, 60, 70,000 houses. Like that's that's 40, 50, 60, 70,000 houses, you know? Um, that's 40, 50, 60, 70,000 families that are that are looking to move. So there's there's a big deal there. And and then if we go a little bit further cuz that's national, you know, the i buyers are not like they're not really national. I mean, they, they kind of are, but they're not, right? So they're, you know, they've issued press releases and launched in 50 markets around the country. Um, so there, there is a growing national presence, uh, but not all markets are created equal. You know, there's a very, um, 
there's a very high concentration in these top four-ish markets, Phoenix, Atlanta, uh, Texas, yep. and, and kind of the Carolinas. So there's that that is, you know, Phoenix is ground zero for iBuyers and, and Atlanta is is very close number. Well, they, they kind of go back and forth. Um, so if you look at one of those, Phoenix or Atlanta, you know, at times market share, the iBuyer market share, kind of maybe five, six, seven percent, but it's peaked above 10. 10, yeah. So there's there's times within those markets where they have 10% share of the markets. One out of every 10 homes is being, you know, is going on open doors books. Uh, so that's that's a big deal. And then you can even get narrower and you can say, okay, there's a neighborhood in Atlanta. And you know what? In there, that market share number is closer to 20, 30. It could be even 40%, right? The denominator is getting pretty small at that point. Um, and Bloomberg has done some research on that in the past. But uh, so, so it really it really all depends. You know, if you're a property investor in Minneapolis or Indianapolis, this is not a big deal. It, it, they, they are not doing anything right. But if you're a property investor in Phoenix or Atlanta, this is absolutely a big deal. And I'll, I'll speak to that real, real quickly, because I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and, and I felt open door coming into the market. I, you know, we, I'm a investor, I buy and sell houses, I, you know, I wholesale traditionally. And, and when open door came into the space, they were the Silicon Valley wholesaler, you know, they were, they were the wholesaler in a suit, right? And, and, and that was what everybody got fearful of because they thought, wow, you know, these guys are, they're sophisticated, they got billions of dollars, they're going to come in, and they're going to completely disrupt what our business model is and was there a dent and did it affect us you know in a, in a little in the early parts it did absolutely everybody's volumes adjusted and we had to get more uh engineered with our marketing we had to get more boots on the ground it, you know everybody had to pivot if you were going to survive when you had an 800 pound gorilla in your backyard you were going to have to do better you're going to have to offer more solutions you were going to have to after offer more service you're going to have to offer more transparency there was going to need to be a shift in the market and i think that what open door if effectively did for us in phoenix is it made everybody better we all had to work harder and do better in order to compete with open door I'm also going to say this, there are parts about it that I don't think got better, right? For instance, when you look at some of the product, right? And, and I'm not knocking open door. I, I, I think they're a wonderful company and I, I, I like the people involved in it and, and you know, I, God bless them. But when you look at the product and you see what has come down from flipping houses from the sky, I did a whole, I did a whole YouTube uh, expose on it. And I looked at, you know, what does it look like when a mom and pop rehabber whose heart and soul goes into a project when they're when they care about you know where are we going to put the placement of this shelf because we're thinking about the family that's going to live here and where they're going to put their things and how people are actually going to live in this home and when you looked at when you changed it from the perspective of you know somebody coming in and, and their livelihood being the business versus an algorithm deciding that they were going to buy this house and that they were allowed to spend 1% of purchase price in order to renovate it, which is the typical amount of money that they want to spend in a, pro in a pro property. What did that project look like when it came back on the open market? And when you look at how that affects neighborhoods that they're investing in, I think that the ultimate result wasn't super positive. And, and, and to me, I think that's a piece that we all need to understand and, and look at is that when somebody has the choice of selling their home, you might get X, you might get X dollars from open door and you might get X dollars from this wholesaler or this rehabber. But what is that impact on the community when it's done? 
It's it's a really good point. It um, reminds me of a chat I had the other day with an agent friend of mine who was showing showing their buyer a bunch of homes. Some of those homes were open door homes. And the feedback, again, this is one data point, right? But it, it reinforces that. The, the feedback from the buyer after touring that open door home was, it doesn't have any soul. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't, it's missing they don't, the soul. Michael, you hit it. Yeah. They, they don't stage the houses, which, which is fine, right? This is what happens when you have, like, like you said, an algorithm kind of running the business, right? It's very data-driven. Um, and, and when that occurs, you, yeah, you don't stage the home. Um, all, the, all the paint colors are the same. All the rugs and carpets are the same. Every, everything's kind of the same. And you, you know, but that, that the buyer was looking, they, they want to live there. I want some character. I want to know, like, what is, what is in the soul of this home and do we connect or not? Yeah, and that's that. Yeah, it's. it's I, I think that's a tough proposition. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really helpful context too to understand the localized concentration here. Like, obviously, ten percent is a lot. You know, especially if you live in those communities, you you feel that, and it feels, I'm sure, pretty weird as both an investor and a and just a home buyer. Um, so that's helpful in. And helping everyone understand that, like, if you're a real estate investor, unless you're in one of these major markets, you're probably not competing that directly against some of these iBuyers, which sort of brings me to my next question is like, are there going to be any iBuyers in the near future? (laughs) Because now we've seen Zillow drop out. We've seen Redfin, which you just explained is not a huge player anyway, but one of the bigger names, at least in industry, in, in the industry. So I guess open door offer pads still around, right? Like, are, are those the two big ones? Um, because from what I read, they're not doing great either. Those are the two pure play iBuyers left open door and offer pad. And open door is about four times as big as offer pad mm-hmm. and by volume. And offer pads always kind of played by the beat of their own drum. Um, I've done some research on this, it's all online and free. So if you want, you can look at it. But um, you know, OfferPad was Open Doors founded by a bunch of Silicon Valley tech folks. Um, OfferPad was founded by a bunch of real estate folks. Yep. And and OfferPad has had a different philosophy, right? It's not um, pedal to the metal. Let's get as big as we can, as fast as we can. It's it's a little bit more moderate, and they're willing to put more time and money into the rehab of the houses. They're real estate people, so they they get that a bit more, and they're they're they have a different model. Um, and, and the result of that is I think it's offer pad at least is just, let's call it more moderate. You know, when the, when the market's swinging wildly up and down, offer pads not going to go up as far and it's not going to go down as far. So in, you know, the last quarter open door lost a lot of money, offer pad lost a little bit of money. Um, so yeah, anyway, I mean, I, I don't know what the next, <clears throat> I mean, the next 12 to 18 months is, um, is kind of a free, free for all. Uh, I'm not sure. What's going to happen? You know, surviving it is is simply a matter of how much money do you have in the bank and how much are you spending every month? And, and do you have enough to kind of weather this this financial and real estate market storm? I think Open Door will. Well, o- Open Door has has is in the process of, of pivoting or evolving their model a bit. Right. They've they've launched um, more asset light products. So they're, they're basically open doors trying to be an iBuyer without actually buying the home. You know, they have this exclusive marketplace and they're going to sellers and saying, if you want to sell your home, um, come to us, 
we will we'll charge you a fee, 5% fee, and, and right now we'll rebate 2% of that back to you. But we'll, we'll charge you a fee. We'll give you a cash offer. And, and remember, Open Door only buys a percent of the homes, right? They, they don't have to. Nobody's holding a gun to their head and forcing them to buy every home. But we'll give you a cash offer. And then we'll advertise your home in our exclusive non-MLS marketplace. And if you're a property investor, this is where you should start paying attention, right? Um, and we're going to try to find you buyers. And that could be individuals or that can be institutional investors. And I, I made this point a couple of days ago on a webinar. Like what I've just described sounds a lot like a real estate agent. Or a wholesaler. Yeah, or yeah. Jamil, yeah. <laughs> Trying to turn you into I mean, a robot. Let's Jamil. be real. Right? This is what we do is that we sell equitable interest in the house. And that's exactly yeah. what what uh, Open Door is proposing. And rather than coming – and you know the whole, the whole, the whole thing – Oh, we we actually have the money to back up what we're going to do. We're actually going to close. This all these promises go out the window now. All of a sudden they realize that hold on a second, we can't take everything down. Yeah. Maybe it's time that we just start selling equitable interest. I mean, that's what happened, right? It it was it was always the better model anyways, right? Cuz I'll tell you what, I didn't lose money any quarter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they're, they're, you know, they're pivoting around. I mean, I, will, will we have iBuyers, I, you know, in a year, two years, five years? I don't know. I, I sure hope so, because if we don't, that means, you know, a tidal wave has swept over this industry and washed away everything new. And we're back with, you know, the 1990s again. And it, it feels like it, that shouldn't be the case. iBuying, traditional iBuying is a great proposition for a certain segment of, of players. I'd, I'd like to see more options for consumers, more, more, yeah, more options for people to buy and sell homes. Um, but it's definitely, I'd say this is, it, it's funny in real estate. I think the, the, the phrase existential threat gets overused, but this is like the existential threat. This is the crisis moment. It's not a nuclear disaster, guys. We're talking about houses, <laughs> yeah. right? But. Well, for these companies, it, it is, it is life or death. And and that's where we're at now. Um, you know, Open Door got punched in the face really bad in Q3. Mm -hmm. uh, they they guided to an even worse Q4, uh, and and Q1. I mean, the next six months are just going to be pretty pretty brutal. Uh, so we just we have to wait and see. Well, I've I've got a piece to add to that because I you know looking at some of the numbers that shook out because I was I was looking at your research, uh, Michael, and again it's phenomenal research for anybody that hasn't dove into what um, uh, Michael DePretty is actually doing out there. Read it, read what he's talking about because when you look at the business model in itself, they haven't accounted for operations. Like there's no money to operate, right? They can't, they can't pay anybody. If they're just looking at the margins that we're looking at here, it makes no sense. So then I started to think about, well, you know, let's look at some of the transactions that I've in fact been involved in where Open Door was either a buyer or a seller. And it was interesting because when the market was doing what it was doing, right? When, the, when things were getting a little heated here in Phoenix, Arizona, I'm buying and selling houses, I'm fixing and flipping houses, I'm wholesaling houses, I'm active, right? I'm in a deal and I put this nice remodel. We did a good job on the remodel. I think we over-improved for the neighborhood. We put it on the market and of course, market was hot and we started getting multiple offers. But they were reasonable multiple offers, right? Just super reasonable, $5,000, you know, $7,000 above list. It, it made some sense for the market and the heat. Then all of a sudden we get this one offer and it was $75,000 above <laughs> list, right? And I thought, who the heck would do that and why, right? My, I just needed to know why. So 
So we look, and it's open door, buying our fully remodeled house, right? And I said, if these guys want to buy this house at $75,000 above list, sell it to them. But I need to know why. And so I started looking at who owned the houses in the neighborhood. And a lot of them were open door. And so it made sense to me that would open door not want to buy this house at $75,000 above list price and set a new comp so that they could add money to all or equity to all of the other holdings that they had there. And then is that not part of the bigger problem that we're talking about affordability here in the United States? Like when you look at the practices and how these things are shaking out, I, when they don't make sense, understand why. And that's the reason I had to look at that, at that whole offer and that whole situation because it made no sense to me. And the only reason you would want to overpay once is if it was going to make you money 30 times behind it. So how do we make sense of that? And how does the public digest that? We can't make sense of it. Yeah. We, we, you know, we don't. I, I think that it's the question. What's really interesting here, it's, it's not so much the question of is Open Door doing that on purpose or not? Because I think there was some Zillow conspiracy theory about Zillow doing the same thing. Okay. It's it's just it's the fact that we have to ask ourselves the question, are they like that's new? You know, we've never been in this position before when, when we've never had a for profit, you know, Wall Street backed company with billions of dollars and tens of thousands of houses operating like this in the housing market, effectively like short sellers, you know, because I think institutional investors are like long, long term investors. You buy some AT&T or GE stock, you hold it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, like that's it. But now we've got like day traders um, and you see what happens with day traders with, you know, GameStop and Bed Bath and Beyond and, and all this craziness like that didn't exist before. That wasn't a possibility, but now it is. So the same thing is true in real estate. Now that we have Open Door operating effectively as a real estate day trader, what are the unintended consequences? Now, we, what are the questions we have to ask ourselves now that we didn't have to five years ago or 10 years ago? And this is exactly like this is exactly one of them. So it's uh, I'm very curious because during the run up in prices, the recent rapid appreciation, some of them, Zillow being the notable one, but even Open Door, like they weren't doing that well in a market that just seemed perfect for them. Absolutely perfect. You could buy something, do literally nothing, and then sell it six months later and make a killing. And they were somehow losing money off this. And to me, it seems like, what is the problem? Because like, I, I, it, is it operational? Because that seems like one problem. Yeah. The other one that me, I, I, Mike, just so you know, I have some training in data science and machine learning. The other part of me is like, how in hell can they not predict the prices of these houses a little bit better? Because like you said at the top of the show, there's just so much data with which you can build AVMs and auto, an automatic valuation model. Like it just seems like they should be better at this. So do you have any idea like why hmm. they're struggling so much? Yeah, the... <laughs> The short, the short answer, and I don't mean to be curt and we can expand, is, is just their expense base is too high. Mm. Right? I mean, you could, at, the, at the highlight of at the high points of 2022, home price appreciation is crazy. You look at the numbers of Open Door, and I mean, 
I don't mean to keep picking on Open Door, but let's any eye buyer. But the problem is Zillow was out of the game. But you look at what they bought a home for and what they sold it for. And I, I published this research, right? It was record high. The difference between what they bought it for and sold it for was like 20%. And Michael, that didn't even take into consideration the way that they manipulate those contracts, right? Because it's not... Correct. The recorded buy price is not actually the, the purchase price. Right. So it was even higher than what you were thinking. If the, yeah, if there's other costs in there or other other takeouts, then yeah, absolutely. But but and I mean, they still charge a five percent service fee. So, but but twenty percent, you know. And you'd look at that and you'd say, wow, for you know, you bought you bought something for three hundred, and then I mean, literally, the amount of time between when they take possession of something and then relist it is about ten days. So it's unfair to say the price appreciates 20% in 10 days because there's a closing period. Like there's a lot of time in here. But, you know, even if you say two months, three months, that's crazy home price appreciation. Now, the reason that doesn't fall to the bottom line is because it doesn't include all the expenses, right? So any, any expense these companies have, you know, all their hundreds of millions of dollars, employees, technology, office rent, salary, all, all that stuff. You know, it adds up. And I think that's the fundamental challenge for profitability of these businesses. It's also, you know, it's symptomatic of the fact that it's real estate and you need boots on the ground. Like, it, I mean, you get you guys get this like you, you just can't you can't manage this business from a from a your basement. You, you need like hundreds, thousands of people in the field. There's only, you know, they're buying. Oh, I forget what it was. 150 houses a day at their peak. Like there's only so many people in trucks with ladders driving around Phoenix that you can get to like fix things up, right? I mean, you, you really, you hit these like real world um, situations. Uh, but, but yeah, just to, to wind it back, I mean, they, they're making money, homes are appreciating, but the, it's pretty simple math. You know, it doesn't flow to the bottom line because there's just a huge pot of expenses here. That's crazy because that, that makes me feel like they're not going to succeed ever because if they couldn't make it work, during a time when they were getting all of these market tailwinds, mm -hmm. like how are they going to make it work in the future when hopefully we get back to a housing market in the next year or two that just grows around the pace of inflation? Well, well, here's here's the thing, right? Um, we are and 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 we we might not have even talked about this today in this chat unless I brought it up, which is again showing the problem. But the the thing is. Everybody is so focused on the short-term crisis of the iBuyers that we're all forgetting to take a step back and look at the long-term view, right? We're like, oh my God, are they going to survive? Is there enough cash? They're making so much money on home price appreciation. Now everything's tanking. Are they going to weather the next six months? But we have to remember, if we go back to pre-pandemic times, before the market got crazy, the, the biggest question for iBuyers, and this is something I harped on time and time again, is there wasn't a credible path to profitability, right? These businesses were still, they were losing money. It's like, okay, that, that's fine, but what is the path to profitability? How will you become profitable one day? Uh, and that, was, that, that had not been proven yet, right? There were arguments to say, once we get to scale, will be profitable, right? We can grow our revenues and the expenses grow slower and ta-da, we're, we're another Amazon. Um, or we can make money by selling adjacent services, primarily mortgage, title, and escrow. So we, we get a bigger slice of the pie for each transaction. Uh, that was kind of it, right? Oh, and you know we're gonna automate stuff and use technology to bring our expenses down. So 
you look at all those, and I, I loved looking at those, and, and the evidence wasn't there. It's was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I see maybe a little bit on the scale thing, but, you know, it's still too early to tell. Um, and the other ones, I'm just, you know, it's, it's not flowing through on the, on the data yet. Uh, so, so that's if we, if we kind of get, if we put aside the short term, are they going to survive thinking? We still have that same problem. Like that is still the same problem. Um, we saw what happened when they get to scale and the market goes bananas that, you know, you lose a billion dollars. So there's a big problem. The only way they survive, Dave, is through the marketplace. What do you mean? What coming after you basically? hundred percent. The only way they survive is buying my company. No, no, really. The only way, they, <laughs> the, oh, the only way they survive is the marketplace. Because look, if you can, if you change the model where you don't have to be so cash intensive, you don't have to take title down. You don't have to take title to all these properties. You're not paying commissions multiple times because Michael just said it's a ten day turn, right? You can accomplish. They are doing nothing to these houses, <laughs> right? You accomplish the exact same. In fact, in, in I'll, the house might look better the day before they close and the day they list. Okay. <laughs> so with that said, with that said, the marketplace makes sense. It makes sense, right? It's like, if you look at the, the car industry, okay. How many of us have traded in a car? Yeah. All three of us, I bet. Right. We've all traded in a car. We all knew that we were leaving money on the table. Every one of us understood that there was a convenient situation here that we were taking advantage of, right? So what if that becomes the proposition, the value proposition to the consumer? Listen, guys, we're becoming your marketplace. You know that we're just going to take your car and put it on the dealer auction. It's exactly what's going to happen with the house. You know that we're just going to take your house. We're going to put it in the marketplace auction. You're going to get what you're going to get. We're going to take our fee. Bada bing, bada boom. We didn't have to come up with any extra money. We didn't have to raise funds. There was no cost of capital. Operations completely come down. And this starts to make sense. I, I think there's a different factor in there. You, you asked how many of us traded our car in. I traded my car in. I went to a dealer and I traded it in and I was done. That's different than me going to a dealer, giving them my car. Um, uh, what is that called? Uh, consignment. Yeah, consignment. Giving them my car in consignment. And then seeing what happens with it. True. So th- those, you know, iBuying is the first. They, right. they buy your home, done. What you're talking about now, this marketplace, that's consignment. And it may, it may be great, but it's less speedy, it's less certain, and it's less simple than the iBuyer proposition. Mm. So I, I don't know how that's going to pan out, but we, we can't kid ourselves. Like, it is different. It is a different proposition. And sorry, just one more thing. When I when you when I trade in my car and I give it to the dealership on consignment, the dealer's saying, oh, actually, we're going to sell this to our exclusive network. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to put we're not going to expose this to the net. You know, everybody. We, we actually have a, mm. a set number of buyers. I think that changes, too. I think eventually what ends up happening is it's there. It's there. It's the network and the MLS. I think essentially what's going to end up happening is they're just going to become the, the full scale wholesale operation. Interesting. And they're going to change their name to Keegley. That's what's up. <laughs> well, I, it's funny, Mike, when you were, you were describing these paths to profitability or, or la, you know, proposals, it sounds like these companies, and it makes sense given their backing, are following almost more of like a venture capital model where it's like, just go rapidly after market share you know, worry about profitability later. You hear about companies like Uber that was doing mm-hmm. this. You know, they were taking a loss. They were subsidizing rides for people just to capture market share. 
But Uber didn't own the cars. You know, they didn't have assets. They weren't stuck holding anything in case things went wrong. And this, I just, it doesn't seem like there's so much risk just going after that market share approach before you have profitability when you're buying literally billions or tens of billions of dollars worth of assets often leveraged. You know, that just seems crazy. Um, And so what you're saying, Jamil, is like more of, the Silicon Valley approach to this, right? Like they would not touch um, owning the asset. They would set up a marketplace like Uber did between drivers and and uh, riders. Um, and they're basically going to take the same approach to real estate. Yeah. Imagine if Uber had to own every car. They wouldn't do it. I mean, that would, it would, the, the model wouldn't make any sense, right? Yeah. So I, it's got to evolve. It's got to evolve. And, you know, I'm, listen, I'm, I congratulate them for the, the amount of bravery it took to do what they've accomplished. It's, it's incredible, right? It's a, it's a great disruption to the business. I, I think that evolution is necessary in everything. We want to see things change. We want to see things get more efficient. We want to see things become more fluid. I can see that looking at the way that this has panned out right now, that there's not enough money in the pie to operate. So what's next, right? And you, you hit the nail on the head in the biggest appreciation we've seen in the history of of housing it couldn't survive so what's next well mike i'm curious yeah like you know we've 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 asked you a lot about iBuyers, but is there something else coming down is is you know it sounds like iBuyers are trying to evolve but or, or is there something else you see coming down the pipe in terms of real estate tech that might be impacting the industry yeah. Uh, b- before we get to that, I, I just I want to come back to the marketplace thing as well. the The challenge that the, the challenge that Opendoor and any other company faces in trying to create a marketplace in real estate is that one already exists, right? It's the MLS systems everywhere. Like there, there is a marketplace. It functions. It's a it's efficient. Um, could it be more efficient? Yes, but like. It does work. You know, there is one place you can go to find all the houses for sale. There's not one place I can go to find all apartments for rent. There's not one place I can go to find all cars. Like there, there isn't. And, and that's why, you know, there's not one place I can go to find all taxis available in my area. Those things don't exist. But the challenges in real estate, that does exist. It's the MLS system. And, and like, I get it. You, you bump into 10 people and you're going to get 10 different opinions about why the MLS system is broken. It sucks. It doesn't work. But at the end of the day, like it is a marketplace. It could be more efficient. Um, it's, it's operating. But I don't know that, like, I don't know. I, I don't know about you guys, but like I've bought homes. I've sold homes. I, it works. I can find, you know, the MLS system, it does work. It, it, I can go to Zillow and have a high degree of confidence. I'm looking at all the properties for sale. Um, so anyway, that's the marketplace. Um, what's next? Well, listen, I think the the crisis of the moment is home affordability. And I think that will be a new category in prop tech, real estate tech, you know, that we're going to see kind of created over the next six to 18 months. Um, there's There's a variety of different ways to address that from rent to own to kind of shared equity fractional ownership yeah yeah fractional ownership and I hate fractional ownership if we're thinking about blockchain and owning like a hundred dollars worth of a house but um you know if you can if you can't afford a hundred percent of the home, maybe you can afford seventy percent of it and some investors come along for the other thirty percent and they just they're they're in it for the long term ride um there's a number of different ways companies are starting to do this. And I, I, 
I'm excited and hopeful about what the future is there because home affordability is a problem. And it would be, you know, it'd be great to get some Wall Street money funding companies to solve the problem created by Wall Street money in the real estate market. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's that's kind of where we are. So I think that's what's next. And, you know, I'm interested in that and I'm starting to advise some companies in that area and dig a little bit deeper because I want to be smarter in that and and do what I can. Um, But for all the other, you know. There's iBuyers, there's there's a classic company called Power Buyers that do cash offer and buy before you sell. Um, there's, you know, W2 brokerages, like real estate brokers that employ their agents, and st- like Redfin, instead of the contractor model. Um, there, there's a lot of new models out there. And I, I think there is absolutely value in that model for consumers. Like the idea of buying before you selling, that sounds really cool. I w- why isn't that the status quo, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge is, you know, in the current financial markets and real estate markets, uh, those those companies are all bleeding, right? They're, they've yet to reach escape velocity. They're not profitable and, and it's going to be really tight. So my hope is that that category survives. And I think it will, but depends how bleak the next year is. You know, I hope it I hope it survives. I hope the odd buyers survive. And I hope we have some new models that once things start picking up again, they can they can keep going and, and keep offering new ideas into the into the space. And I wanted to add one little defining piece to the marketplace conversation because I'm stuck there. We can't can't get away. No, but I, I don't think it's just the overall marketplace. I think it's the cash buyer marketplace. I think the piece of the pie or the piece of the puzzle here that Open Door, when they say the word exclusive, what they're trying to say is this is not going to be subject to a retail mortgage. This is not going to take the time that a regular sale would take. This is going to be a speed and convenient situation. That's why you're coming to the cash buyer marketplace. And this is going to be different from your multiple listing system where you're going to be subject to all of the new nuance that a regular retail sale would have. Yep. Uh, I mean, I can't help it, but like my mind goes to, well, okay, so let's start it. Open doors going to, no, I'll no, Just who has the cash mm-hmm. open door has the cash. So you're going to be using their cash. So it's not going to be on open doors balance sheet, but you're still using their cash. And that's just that there's other companies that are doing that. And, it, and they've announced they have to stop, you know, their lending facilities are drying up or interest rates are becoming too high or there's too much risk. Like, Okay, you know, Dave, I'll give you my cash, buy your home. But my God, what happens if you work for Meta or Amazon and you just got laid off and you lose your job? Like it, it's it's too risky right now. So there's still this huge, I believe, I mean, there's still like a really huge financial risk for that company providing that at, at the moment. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what shakes out over the next couple of years because you look at publicly traded real estate companies and like the best ones are down 30 to 40%, you know, like REITs often Redfin is down 90%, you know? And so these are big, well-funded companies. You think I'm sure Mike, some of the companies you like or research startups, you know, pre pre pre-revenue companies, like it's going to be pretty tough for them to, to survive. I hope I I totally agree with you. I I hope they do because I do think there is need for some innovation in real estate. And I think there's so many interesting ideas out there, but none of them have been able to really make a dent yet. Um, And so I'm with you. I hope they survive and I hope that we start to see some interesting new trends emerge as as we hopefully, you know, in the next 12 to 18 months come out of this uh, 
come out of this correction and, and into a new era for the housing market. I think the next thing that we're going to watch is the feast. There was another, there was another uh, brilliant article that Michael wrote uh, where he talks about predators yeah. and prey. And I think the next show is going to be a National Geographic basic show where we're going to watch a whole bunch of companies get devoured by the companies with the money. And that's the next, that's the next six to 18 months. We're going to watch the feast. Who's going to survive and who's going to get eaten? Basically, all the big companies with cash are going to roll up these smaller companies. Yeah, asterisk. And the asterisk is, but these smaller companies are all losing money, you know, and some of them are encumbered with debt. So it's like, right right now, I'd hate to be in Zillow's boardroom saying, yeah, I, I think we should drop $500 million and acquire this business that's losing money. Like, right. really? <laughs> you know, can you justify that? Um, and, and there's also this question of what are you buying? Mm. You know, even like Open Door, if we were to buy Open Door, what they they own? I mean, geez, they ended Q three. They own sixteen thousand homes. That's pretty good. Um, but and they have technology. But these, you know, these these transactional things. It's not a subscription um, as a service, right? They're, they're, it's not a SaaS model. You don't have customer. You don't have recurring revenue. There's what what kind of do you have there? You've got a brand and technology, and so it. Mm. I, I think. I think you're right. I mean, there's, yes, you're right in referencing me. Yes, there is going to be a feast. Like I do agree with that, but um, I'm, I'm worried about companies just zapping out of existence or fire sales rather than, you know, kind of a smart amalgamation of existing players into, into something new here. Cause there's like, there's questions like, where's the value? What, what am I actually buying? What can I value? All right. Well, with that grim ending to this episode, I think, I think we have to get out of here. Well, I guess real estate investors will probably be happy to hear that they are not facing tremendous competition from iBuyers. But remains to be seen what sort of real estate tech uh, we might be hearing about next. But Mike, this was tremendously helpful. You're a wealth of knowledge. We really appreciate you being here. For anyone who wants to uh, find out more about you or connect with you, where should they do that? Um, just go to MikeDP.com. Look, look me up on Google. Got a website, all my materials there. You can have a lot of fun reading things. MikeDP.com. All right, great. Well, thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you back sometime soon when there's some, some new exciting trends to talk about. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, everyone. And uh, yeah, have a good one. All right. That was that was fun. Uh, I've wanted yeah. Mike to come on the show forever, and he did not disappoint. He was a really intelligent person. You know, I loved his perspectives, and, and it gave me a lot of insight. And obviously, he's researched what he's talking about. He knows, in, like, intrinsically what's going on in this business model. And when you see somebody that is so well-versed in the data and, and, and the model itself, it's, it's really valuable to listen to them. Totally. I, I like it because he's also not an investor. He's not an agent. He doesn't work for any of these companies. Right. He takes he approaches it from a much more academic standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and I know he does like consulting and private practice stuff, but he's also a professor at CU Boulder. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's really cool to just hear sort of this like research based analysis of it. And it took a turn I was not expecting. I, I did not. You know, 
I was excited to have you on the show as I always am because of the, the Phoenix iBuyer, you know, yeah. connection. But I didn't realize that there is like a sort of idea that they're going to go into and try and sort of automate the the wholesaling industry. It's exactly what's happening. It's exactly what's happening. And I've been, you know, I, I it's funny. I've been calling it for a while. I, I, I figured that this evolution was going to take place. I, I couldn't see how taking properties down, doing minimal repairs to them, and then trying to get retail value for it was going to pencil out. I didn't see this playing out well. Um, you know, I've gotten a lot of flack. I've, I've, I've been making videos about this conversation for a few years and I've had multiple people reach out to me and say, you know, why are you taking shots? And I'm not taking shots. I'm just literally expressing what's obviously happening in the market. Right. And, and we've got to, we've got to look at it. We've got to call it what it is. And we've got to then assume that a pivot is in place. They are going to have to evolve. What they're doing right now isn't going to work. And I think what Michael talks about in this episode was was really important. I, I, my 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 big prediction now is that the CEO of Open Door in 2024 is going to be Jamil Damji. You are going to be tapped for that job because I, it seems I like would do a fantastic the- job of it. To be honest, I, I, think, <laughs> I think they they need to they need to learn from the scrappiness of wholesale. They got to understand this instrument that we that we've made millions of dollars on. Right. And, and listen, look, I've been profitable through the down. And even as the market's like doing what it's doing right now, we're still crushing it. Right. So so like I buyers take notes. Equitable interest is an incredible tool. And figuring out how to monetize that is probably your parachute out of this. Totally. Well, first of all, you should just get a consulting gig and then uh, make a lot of money from them. But you don't seem nervous about it. Why, why is that? I don't seem nervous about it because I, I have no reason to be. I'm looking at our balance sheets. I'm looking at what we're accomplishing right now. And while everybody is bleeding because we don't hold property, because we are truly just delivering the information that exists. Look, your house can trade at this price right now. That's it is what it is. And and buyer, this is what you're going to this is what you can how low you can pay right now. Are you interested in purchasing? Yes. Let's connect the dots. Let's do the deal. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we're still transacting. People still need shelter. He talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Shelter is still there. And it doesn't matter what, if we're in a recession, if we're in a, a boom economy, that hierarchy of needs will always be the same. Housing is inevitable because we need somewhere to live. Totally. First of all, never thought Maslow's hierarchy of needs would be referenced on this show, but uh, here we are. And then secondly, but like, are you nervous that they might, eat into your business you know they're active in phoenix if they start you know trying to mimic wholesalers phoenix might be their first choice i think i think there's a conversation that we have i i truly do i think there's a there's going to be a point in time in the future where open door and keegley sit down and i and i think it's going to be a good conversation because i think that they could gain so much from what we do Mm -hmm. they really could and if we melded the business model of what we do and the me- business model of what they do and we brought those things together, I think you actually have the perfect eye buyer. So I'm not nervous about it. I'm excited for the conversation. Nice. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming, man. This was, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this episode a lot. Likewise. All right. Well, Jamil, where should people connect with you if they want to be a part of the uh, Open Door Keegley mashup? Uh, you guys can find me on my YouTube channel. There's a great video that you should look check out from back in the day. I, I posted it uh, with Max Maxwell and I on my YouTube channel. It's just Jamil Damji or YouTube.com slash Jamil Damji. And also follow me on IG. I make funny videos there. You definitely do. 
You can also follow me on Instagram where I'm at the data deli. Thank you all so much for watching. We'll see you for next episode of On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.